God's of humor. I'm convinced of that. Uh, you may not think that way. You may think that he is just a, an angry, an old, angry old guy with a beard up in the sky ready to just shoot lightning bolts at you all the time. But I think that God has a sense of humor. And uh, I, I'm glad of that because the title of my message today uh, is Learning the Hard Way. Learning the Hard Way from Daniel chapter 4. Again, we'll be in the whole chapter, but I won't make you stand to read that. We'll just cover it as we go. But I learned the hard way this week. Uh, once again, God often has to teach me because I'm hard-headed. And uh, so it's, it's hard for me to get anything through this. And so <clears throat> when I, a couple of weeks ago when I found out that I had the blood clot in my leg, uh, you know, they started me on the blood thinners and, and I was told, you know, you can do normal activities, just don't overdo it. Well, there's a, there's a pretty big range when you tell a man, don't overdo it, right? We, we kind of, we you know, take that and run with it. And so, I, you know, I, I, I tried to relax the first week. I did pretty good laying on the couch with my leg up, but that's not who I am. And so laying there on that couch with my leg up just wasn't going to work too long, Phyllis. And so I, I, I watched my wife cut the grass one time, and I said, well, that's enough of that. I'm going to cut the grass. I don't care if it takes me eight hours. I'm going to cut the grass. So I did that, and it was pretty good. My leg felt great. Okay, we'll push it a little bit more. And so I pushed it yesterday to close the pool, and crawling under that deck and going up and down on my knee too much uh, landed me back in ER again last night because that thing was swelled up big. And, uh, you know, they said, there's nothing you really do. You're already on a blood thinner. And, uh, Nathan, what are you killing over there, man? Is, it, is the devil? <laughs> I thought the devil was after you, man. Get him out of here. We don't want him in here. <laughs> You just never know. You never know, do you, Nathan, what's going to happen? We just have to keep, we just have to go with it, don't we? But I learned the hard way that I have to take it a little bit easier. And the other thing about this message is it talks about pride a little bit in this lesson today, in this message today. And I've learned once again that sometimes I have to swallow my pride. And all the wonderful people that have offered help multiple times, I'm just going to have to take you up on it. I'm just going to have to say, you know what? Maybe you're just going to have to come over and cut the grass and I'll buy you dinner. But, uh, you know, whatever it is. So I learned the hard way, and we all do. And as we look at this message today, I don't know about you, but I love to hear people's testimonies. I think it's powerful when people share what God has done in their life. It gives us a glimpse into someone's personal experience. And I'm not saying personal experience always equates the truth, because that's a dangerous stand to take. The Word of God is true. But I think when the Word of God is effective in a person's life and we can see that in real time, uh, I love to hear testimony. I shared mine a few weeks ago and I, I think a lot of people were encouraged and helped by it. And so I know some of you have some powerful testimonies too. I've been watching uh, this week and, and last week the documentary on Jeffrey Dahmer. Of course, I remember all those things that took place in the 90s and how shocking it was back then when it was happening. But now, some 30 years later, um, watching this documentary, it you know makes you rethink about what went on there and all the things that he did and, and what transpired afterwards. And you know one of the things that uh, that is shown in that documentary, and I knew this about his life, was that uh, while in prison, uh, he began to attend Bible studies with a, with a gentleman that was a pastor, and that that pastor talked to him for quite some time, gave him literature, and and Dahmer did make a profession of faith and was baptized. And for the last few months of his life, according to the preacher did exhibit quite a bit of fruit in his life. Now, it's easy for us to sit here and say, 
you know, I'm skeptical of that. It's easy to turn to God when you've been caught and you're guilty and you're in prison. And, and who knows? I'm not saying here to stand here today to, to preach Him into heaven or condemn Him to hell. Only He and God knows. But uh, I think it's, it's interesting to think about the grace that could save and, and is even available for somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, you know, we, we might be a little bit turned off by that. But in another sense, I know Nathan commented on the post that I made about it and said, you know, he was encouraged by that. Because if God can forgive somebody that did things like that, there's hope for me too. And so I can see how you would look at it from both ways. But, uh, you know, we may be surprised when we get to heaven who's there. And we may be surprised who's not there. Um, And so I want to look at this message today, learning the hard way from Daniel 4. And I want to try to drive this point home to you. And that is that, that God will send judgment. And God will send chastisement. But it's always with the purpose to see people come to repentance. Ultimately, God will do what is right. And God will judge a wicked and unbelieving world. And He will judge wicked and unbelieving individuals who persist in their sin outside of Christ. But God desires for people to turn to Him in faith. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And so I want us to look at a few points today from what we look at in Daniel 4 is actually Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. He is sharing his testimony of how he came to faith. Now you might think, well, I I didn't realize that this wicked pagan king became a believer. Well, according to the pages of Scripture, yes, he did. And uh, according to what we read, Nebuchadnezzar is in glory today because of his faith in Christ and Daniel's faithful witness to him. So I want to I read you a quote as we get started from a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. You might be familiar with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, I think they re, just redid one or made or something I saw the other day on Amazon. But he said this, and, and I thought it was a good quote for, for what we're talking about today. He said, The burned hand teaches best. After that, advice about the fire goes to the heart. It's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you what the Word of God says. But when you take the Word of God and the Spirit applies it to you and it becomes personal and you've lived it, there's no denying it anymore. When you put your hand on that hot stove as a kid, your mom may have said a million times, don't play on that stove, don't play with that fire, don't touch that knife. But when you get cut or you get burned, it takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? That those words mean a little bit more. I'll never forget when I was a kid, like any kid, I was told... Don't play with fire. Don't mess with matches. You can cause a problem. We had just moved. We lived out in the country. I grew up out there. And and when my mom and dad got divorced, we moved into the city, which was all new for me. And we lived in the townhouses at the foot of Eaton Road Hill, if you're familiar with that area. At the time, there wasn't much over there. Lee, your house wasn't built yet. That whole area was just... They were getting ready to build. I think around 85, 86, they built a lot of those houses. But this was about 85. And so most of that was still just woods... And we would, we would cut through the field where the apartments were there over to where you're at, where Kelly Court was there. The apartments and stuff were there where, where Rosie lives. And uh, my friends lived in the first house on the left on Kelly Court. And so we'd go over and play. And then we'd go out in the woods and play Army and whatnot. Well, when you're playing Army and your kids, guess what's one of the things you do? You build a fire, right? And so there was a clearing, where I think, where they were getting ready to build. There was one house there, and then there was a clearing and then there was a, a small wooded area, maybe not even the size of this sanctuary. And it was open in the middle. So we would go in that open spot inside there and just do play fort and an army and all that stuff. And we built a fire pit in there. 
So we lit the fire, and we were doing our thing, and you could just barely see through the trees because they were pretty thick. Probably three houses up from where you are, about where we was at. And we saw that person, and they didn't know we were in there yet, but we knew they were going to. And so we said, we got to get out of here. And so rather than put the fire out, as kids, we said, there's a big board. We'll just throw the board over the fire and put it out. Well, how well did that work, right? So we take this big sheet of plywood or whatever it was laying in there and throw it over top of the fire to keep the smoke down primarily. And we walked out the backside of it up. So Leo kind of goes like this. And we walked up to the top of Leo and then came down the road like we were just walking. And, you know, we walked by the tree and you could already see some smoke coming out by it. Well, to make a long story short, that thing became a blazing mess. We lit the whole area on fire. And the fire trucks were there. And I went home and was hiding in the house. And about an hour later, there was a knock on my door and it was my friend's parents. The fire people had found out they went to their house i thought i got out of it because i ran away and they threw me under the bus said uh he was there too if we're gonna get spanked and grounded make sure he gets some of it too so i got in big trouble and i learned my lesson there was no more fires uh at least for me there wasn't after that day so it takes a lesson sometimes sometimes you have to be hurt scared or both to learn something and i hope that it doesn't take that in your spiritual walk But sometimes God has to shake us pretty good to get our attention. I've shared with you that, you know, my illness in 2004, I believe wholeheartedly, came from God out of His grace and mercy to get my attention. That's what it took to get my attention. And while it was a horrible time to go through, I'm thankful that it happened. And so I share that testimony when I get a chance because I'm grateful for what God did for me and through that that chastisement uh, got me back on track. But Nebuchadnezzar... If you look at this portion of Scripture, if we look at the first three verses together, we see that He's speaking in the present tense. He's speaking to people, to us. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And he, he, he goes on to say that I'm about ready to write this letter to share my testimony with you. Uh, and so when we come to this text... This is about 20 years after the story that we read last week with the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. 20 years or so have now eclipsed. Nebuchadnezzar is probably in his mid-60s. Daniel's in his early 40s. And so Nebuchadnezzar is now going to relate to, to us and to the people of the kingdom at that time what has happened to him, what he went through, and ultimately what God has done in his life. So in verses 4 through 18, after Nebuchadnezzar writes this introduction, he shares with the people a dream that he had. This is similar to what we read a few weeks ago when he had a dream that Daniel interpreted about the different kingdoms, if you remember that. And so this time he shares another dream, but this dream is more personal. He said in the last time when he had that dream in chapter 2, that it caused him to, to be afraid It caused him a lot of sleepless nights. But of this dream, he says, I was made afraid in verse 5, but that word literally is I was terrified. I was terrified of what I dreamed. Now, if you back up a verse to verse 4, he says that at the time in his life, I was at ease in my house. 
and I was prospering in my palace. He's saying things were going good in my life. Overall, there wasn't any wars. I had conquered everything. There was prosperity. Life was pretty good. And then out of the blue, I have this dream that terrifies me. And it causes him to once again want to find an answer. And he seeks out, and when you read this, you may think, well, why? he went to all these other folks last time, and they couldn't give him an answer, the Chaldeans and the sorcerers and all that. Why would he go back to them again? I think he just did it, and I could be wrong here, I think he just did it to kind of acquiesce to them, so to speak. They were his people. They were his trusted counselors. I don't know that he had a deep-rooted faith and confidence in them, but he felt like he kind of owed it to give them a shot first. But he knew, ultimately, that Daniel was going to be the guy. A connection with God, unlike the Chaldeans and the multiple gods that Babylon worshipped. And so, he, he goes to them, they can't answer, and he gets Daniel to come along. And that's really where I want to get into things today, uh, starting with verse 19. I want you to see three things. Remember, our point is that God will send judgment or chastisement to a people or to a nation with the purpose of repentance with the purpose for us to turn our eyes and our hearts away from our sin and come back to Him. That's, that's ultimately God's desire for, for any people or for any individual. And I want you to understand one thing that you see throughout the pages of Scripture. Before God judges, He warns. Before God will send judgment, He always gives a warning. So I want you to see the first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. There's a caution invoked. There is a caution invoked in verses 19 through 27. Daniel is going to tell him about the dream. He dreams this dream of a great big tree reaching up into the heavens. Its branches spread out. The birds nest in it. The animals lay under it. It provides shade. It's a beautiful tree. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes down from heaven and chops the tree down. It leaves the stump and the roots. It doesn't completely destroy it, but it chops it down to the ground. And as Daniel is interpreting this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to tell him that you are the tree. You are the one that has grown and become lofty and prosperous, and God has been good to you. And in all of your blessings, you failed to acknowledge Him. And so God is going to cut you down to the ground. He's not going to destroy you, but He's going to lay you low. He's going to humble you so that you will see who He is. All through the Scriptures we see God warning before He sends judgment. Let me give you just a couple verses. We could spend a lot of time on this, but 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 11-14. through 14. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation, which is not a translation I use a lot, but I think it brings it out well. It says there, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. He's telling him something is coming. I'm about to do this shocking thing. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family. I have warned him continually that judgment is coming for his family because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifice or offerings. He says, something's coming. I'm letting you know. I've warned Eli. I've told him that judgment's coming if his sons don't repent and they refuse to do so. 
So my judgment is at last going to be executed on them. Let me give you another one. Jeremiah 44, verses 4 through 6. says there, However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets. How many times did God send prophets in the Old Testament to warn people of judgment that was to come? He says it again. These prophets came rising early and sending them saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. Once again, we see God warning because they will not obey, they will not repent that this judgment is going to come. And now Daniel is reiterating a same kind of warning to the king. God has blessed you. He's given you multiple opportunities to turn to Him. And because you fail to do so, there is coming a day of judgment on your life. And in all of this, I love Daniel's example that it shows in the Word of God. Look at how Daniel speaks um, to to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 19. It says, Then Daniel... Remember... Early on we read in chapter 1 that the king had changed the names of Daniel and his three friends to represent pagan deities. These false gods, all of these names had connections with the gods of Babylon, whereas the Hebrew names had connections with the one true God. So Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change their very identity. He was trying to teach them the ways and the culture of Babylon. And we talked about how the world today is trying to do the same exact thing to our children and this new generation trying to indoctrinate, trying to brainwash, trying to remove God from everything and cause sin to be normal. And we see the same schemes of the enemy going on back hundreds and hundreds of years before. Daniel in verse 19 it says, whose name was Belteshazzar was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Listen to what he says. Belteshazzar, Daniel, answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Do you see what Daniel is saying there? He's saying, I know what this dream really means. I know that it is judgment for you, king. But I wish, honestly, I wish it was judgment on your enemies instead of you. Nebuchadnezzar had been the one that had invaded Daniel's homeland three times. He had taken all of these folks 1,500 miles away from home and imprisoned them in Babylon. Many had died throughout this time of of deportation. And yet, here is Daniel in the face of this pagan king who is guilty of doing all these things to him and his people, saying, I wish that God's judgment wasn't coming on you. I wish it was for someone else. Daniel showed love and compassion to this man, even though he didn't deserve it. What an example when Jesus said to love our enemies and do good to those who curse us. Daniel could have easily said, well, finally, you're going to get what's coming to you, buddy, and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to watch every bit of it with a smile on my face. We often rejoice in vengeance, don't we? We We often like that. And we often want to be the ones that carry out vengeance. Now don't get me wrong. In a, in a wicked and evil world, 
we should, as righteous people, want to see God's righteousness finally happen. And it will. There is coming a day where every wrong will be made right. And everyone will be held accountable. But I don't rejoice, and I hope you don't either, rejoice to know that there are people that are going to spend eternity in hell separated from God because of their sin and their, their unwillingness to turn to Him in faith. That, that doesn't bring any joy to my heart. I want to see the world made right. I want to see heaven come down to earth and we dwell with the Lord forever. But I also know the consequences for many folks that will follow when that day comes. And that's not a thing that brings joy to my heart. And it doesn't bring joy to God's heart. Uh, God will absolutely. He is just. He is righteous. He will punish sin. It will not go unnoticed. But he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not up there just to wring in His hands waiting to destroy the world. It will happen. Because it must happen. For Him to be righteous and to carry out His perfect plan. But there's no pleasure in that. And Daniel shows us that even in the judgment of this pagan king who has mistreated him and his people, he cared for him. He didn't ultimately want to see him destroyed because of his sin and his evil. And so, as I read that and I thought about the life of Nebuchadnezzar, there's one verse of Scripture that just kept coming back to my mind over and over and over again. And that's Proverbs 16:18. that says, Pride goes before destruction or a fall and a haughty spirit before that fall. Pride goes before destruction. What an example we have in Scripture through the life of this king. He was a prideful, arrogant, which is what the word haughty means, an arrogant man. He had risen to such a place of power and authority. He had everything he wanted. Anything that he commanded was done. And when we are blessed, and we are elevated it's very easy for pride to set in. That's why blessings sometimes can be a scary thing to, to get. Because I shared in my testimony, it was through all the blessings from getting a, a better job, getting a raise, getting a house, my child being born, we got two new cars in the driveway. All kinds of external blessings were happening early on in my life. But as a young believer... I wasn't mature enough and grounded enough to keep my priorities straight. And all that stuff suddenly became my God. And keeping that stuff meant less time at church, less time in the Word, less time in prayer, and more time working overtime, more time spending the weekends trying to keep up with all that stuff, cleaning it, maintaining it. And you, boy, you know it, you look back and you think, all of these things have replaced my relationship with God. And you can say, I'll balance it out. I've never met that person yet. I haven't. You have got to, as the Bible says, to be, learn to be content with what you have. If you are constantly out looking for more and more and more, the world will give you more and more and more until you lose your soul chasing more and more and more. And when you're satisfied with Jesus, that will always be enough. When I got saved, and I hope you can say the same thing, the day I got saved until this very moment, I have never had to go out and look for another Savior. I've never had to say, Jesus wasn't enough, I need more. He satisfied and met every need spiritually that I would ever have. 
But on the flip side of that, I have never bought anything in the world that ultimately I was satisfied with the rest of my life. How many of you, if, unless you're young and you just started, how many of you still are driving your first car? Long gone. But buddy, when you got that thing, it was great. You polished it. It might have been a 72 Gremlin. And you polished that thing like it was a Lamborghini. Right? That's what Rosie had? There you go. What about that? I can see you, in a, I can see you driving around in Gremlin. I bet it was green, wasn't it? She don't even remember. Blue, okay. I thought you had a, the green gremlin. I could see you. In <laughs> some of you don't. Some of you like gremlins as a movie. I don't know what you're talking about with a car, but the point is, we buy things. We get we get a phone. I, I bought this phone two years ago, and it was the latest and greatest, best camera. Now it's things so obsolete. It, I don't. It probably. It, I don't even know what iPhone we're on. What number are we up to now? I don't know what. 14. So I'm I'm about five behind in two years. My point is, you're never going to be satisfied with things of the world. It's never ever going to ultimately fulfill you, but Jesus will. But Jesus will. And so this proud and arrogant man is going to be laid low. And I thought about our nation. When we hear the word pride, guys, what comes to mind anymore? The celebration of lifestyles that God detests. And we are called as believers, we talked about this in Sunday school, we are to love all people. You see it on the sign. If you didn't look at our sign when you leave today, if you judge people, you don't have time to love them. But that in no way, shape, or form means that we don't stand on the Word of God and that we don't call sinners to repentance and that we don't tell them the truth in love. If we compromise on those things, guys, we are not truly loving people. We are accepting and even celebrating them in their sin, which is ultimately going to send them to hell, which is where our sins were sending us. May we never get so self-righteous that we think, boy, those, those folks that are all confused about their genders and those folks over there that are aborting children, they are just so evil and I wish that they would just figure it out like me. You are just as evil. You may have celebrated different sins, but you loved your sin too. You needed the same Jesus that they need. So may we never get so self-righteous that we think that we somehow made ourselves better and now we are better than them. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that any of us are found worthy. And it will only be by the blood of Jesus Christ that their hearts will be changed. And they can be. So yes, we need to stand on the truth uncompromisingly. But we also need to love those folks right where they're at. If we simply try to change their behavior, we can change them from homosexual to heterosexual we can change them from pro-life to pro-choice but if we don't introduce them to jesus they'll just die lost in a different sin because the gospel is not about making people more moral it's making them born again and that is the goal and so we see this proud king and we see this warning coming i was reading this week about uh, I was changing the batteries in a couple of smoke detectors, and I don't know why, but for some reason, I know I was changing the batteries, but I don't know why I was reading the thing about carbon monoxide. Because none of our smoke detectors have carbon monoxide detectors, and everybody says you really should have those in your home. Because they say it's called the silent killer. Because you can't, this, I wrote this down, you can't see it, smell it, or taste it. I thought, man, that's serious. But pride is the same way. Because pride is one of those sins where we all have it to some degree. 
But we don't, in ourselves, we don't see it or smell it or taste it. Somebody else usually has to point out pride. And why it's so deadly is, if you have pride in your life, and somebody comes to you in love and, and gently tries to rebuke you or correct you and say, I've noticed something in your life, you are, have a bit of a prideful spirit, what does our pride immediately cause us to do? You get puffed up. We live in such a culture today that's offended already about everything. And when you come to somebody and say, I've noticed something in your life and I'm concerned for you and I, that thing is pride, well, your chest pumps up even more. Right? Who do you think you are? You got your own mess. You got your own. I know about you. I've seen your posts on Facebook. You're not perfect. Don't come to me. And, and we don't handle the accountability and the, and, the, and the biblical criticism and rebuke that we as believers are called to give one another. Now, we should have the right spirit about us when we do that. But thank God if there's someone that's willing to come to you and point out something in your life. Thank, that's not easy to do. They weren't comfortable to do that. But thank God that they loved you enough to do it. And respond to that. Don't Tell you what, don't respond at all before you respond wrongly. Take it for 20... I always tell you the 24-hour rule. Take it for 24 hours and meditate on it and pray about it and get in God's Word and ask the Spirit to really search you. Say, Lord, if, if, if I do in fact have pride in my life, if that's the issue, show me that. Help me to have a soft enough heart to receive it. That was the attitude that I thought about. Wouldn't it have been good if I had that attitude before I messed my leg all up and wasn't so proud to not ask for help. Could have avoided the ER visit and I could have stood up the whole sermon today and not had to sit down because my leg still gets tired. And I thought about Nebuchadnezzar and, and I thought, you know, if he would have just responded many times before when God had been so good to him, he could have avoided this judgment. The early church father, Augustine, I've, I've heard this quote many times, it's a good quote, he says, it was pride that changed angels into devils. And it's humility that makes men as angels. What a thing it is for God to humble us. And oftentimes that humility comes through a very painful experience. So there was a caution invoked to Nebuchadnezzar. And then number two, I want you to see that there was a chastening inflicted. There was a chastening inflicted in verses 28-33. through 33. Here is this king, the most powerful man on earth. He had everything that he wanted. He had the greatest food. He had all the servants. He, he could snap his fingers and get what he wanted. Listen to what Proverbs 16.15 says. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And be assured he will not go unpunished. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Look at verse 29. This is so interesting to me. At the end of 12 months, don't pass that by. He has this dream. Daniel interprets the dream. Judgment is coming to you, king. God has been good to you. He's been patient with you. And because you will not repent, judgment is coming. How much longer did it take for the judgment? 12 months. God gave him another year to think about this. To, to turn from his evil. Do you see that when sin consumes us, guys, no matter how plain it is, we will continue in our folly until God cuts our legs out from under us, so to speak. It takes us hitting rock bottom. And we always say, I don't know why 
But it just shows you how strong sin is in our life. After the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. He's enjoying what he has gotten from his own hands. So he thinks. And it says in verse 30, The great king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon? Listen to what he says. Which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. I did all this so that I can be worshipped. And look at what it says in the next verse. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox for seven periods of time or seven years shall this pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. This proud, powerful king, as he sat on his palace roof and boasted of his glory, went mad and went out in the field and his nails grew long and his hair grew long And he ate grass with the oxen. Just like that. Can you imagine what people must have said? What people must have thought about that? There's an actual, as I studied this this week, there's an actual, very rare, but an actual psychological condition that psychologists have have found for this. It's called boanthropy. And there's several over the centuries, cases of this where people actually thought that they were cattle and lived out in the fields eating grass. God sends this judgment on this man. And he is out in the field for seven years. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. My family hates it because TNT, for whatever reason, I think they only have about three movies at TNT. And so if there's not a basketball game or a baseball game, they just throw one of the movies on. So Shawshank Redemption is on usually 100 times a week on TNT, and I probably watch it 98 of those. And I don't even watch it anymore because I could like quote it verbatim. I just put it on there. It's like Andy Griffith. I watch it so much I know it. But it's just like background noise. I just like to have something in the background. But in that movie, if you remember, um, Edward Norton, the, uh, or, or Warden Norton, I'm sorry, uh, has that sign that his wife made that covers up the safe on the wall. You remember what that, sa- that sign says? If you're a big fan like me, you'll remember. His judgment cometh in that right quick. What a, what a true statement of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. The judgment came. It might have tarried in our minds, but God was right on time. And He sends this judgment, this chastening, that it comes on this man. Now, would God have been just to leave him in the field for the rest of his life? He said seven years. What if he would have just said, you made your bed lie in it? Could have done that. Should have done that. God should have done that to us. He didn't, we, he didn't need to send a Savior. We didn't deserve for Him to send a Savior. But He did. He loved us that much that in His grace and mercy, He would provide someone in the person of Jesus Christ where our sins could be forgiven. 
And he sends this terrible, humbling situation to Nebuchadnezzar so that ultimately this man can become a born-again believer. You say, how do we know that? The last point, and I'm done. There's a consolation implemented. Verses 34-37. through 37. Look at what it says in those verses as we close. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. When you hit rock bottom, and you really hit rock bottom, and some of you have this testimony, the only place left to, do, the only place left to look is up. And when you look up, you will find the one waiting for you who's been waiting for you. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker or the Creator of heaven and earth. If you need help today, the place you need to look is to the right hand of the Father where Jesus Christ is seated. He is the one that can help us. And this king looks up. And listen to what it says. When he lifted up his eyes to heaven, my reasoning returned to me. His mind comes back. He looks to God. He finally acknowledges the one true God, not the idols that he had made all over Babylon. He looked to heaven where Daniel's God was. And his reason returns. And what does he do? I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. And he breaks out into what I would call a song. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will and the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can, say, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He has this amazing conversion from king of everything, proud and arrogant, to out in the field eating grass, to his mind being restored, and now him praising and thanking the one true God, Daniel's God. What a long trip it was for Nebuchadnezzar to be saved. Some of you can relate. It took a long time and a lot of patience, and maybe God chopping your legs out from under you more than once. Maybe you can say like me, I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't be here. God should have took me home several times. But I'm still here because He's not done with me yet. And you're still here because He's not done with you yet. But God is under no obligation to keep giving you opportunities. And God may knock one more time, but don't say, well, I'll come back next week and see if I can get right. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you're here today and you are lost and God is speaking to you about getting right with your life, today is your opportunity to respond. And if you are here today and you like Nebuchadnezzar, look at verse 37. He goes back and we'll close with this, Phyllis, you can come. He goes back to the first person again speaking to all of us. He's wrapping up this testimony that he gives. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven for all His works are right and His ways are just. Listen to his last, the last thing he gives. This is, the, this is the exclamation point on his testimony because he lived this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That man could say that with force because he lived it. And if... You are here today and you've been saved by Jesus Christ. You can speak it with authority. 
You can say, I know where I was. I know who I was. But bless God, He found me right in the mess. And He pulled me out of that miry clay and set my feet on a solid rock and established my comings and my goings. And I'm so thankful today. But if you're here today and you're too proud, if you've got pride in your life, as a believer or an unbeliever, you will never, ever, ever be able to do the things that God wants you to do until you deal with that pride. James 4, 6 says, He gives more grace, therefore He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're living in pride today, you're in direct opposition with God. That, li- that literally means that God has taken a stand against you. Do you honestly think you're going to win that fight? Pride will cause you to not be able to rejoice with other people. Somebody else may get a position. Somebody else may get promoted. Somebody else may get a new house or a new car. Pride will keep you from celebrating for that person. One of the surest evidences that pride is not an issue in your life is you can rejoice when other people get what you wanted. When other people get what you wanted, you're going to either be spiteful and pride-filled and mad at them, or you're going to rejoice with them. If you're humble enough to say, I'm thankful that they, they, they were blessed. My turn will come. My turn will come. Many today can't admit their sin, Phyllis. They can't admit their need of Jesus because they're too proud to come forward and say, I need Him. I need Him. I'm a mess. And I need Him. And pride will keep you in your seat and pride will keep you separated from Him. Pride caused the devil to be cast out of heaven. You don't think it can affect you? Pride is a powerful thing. And you will die in your sins if you stay in your pride. But there is grace for the humble. Today, as we give this invitation, the question is, will you respond to what God is doing in this room, in this moment? If you need Him, if there's things that you see that are wrong, come and get right today. I'll pray with you. The altar's open. Grab somebody out there to pray with you. But don't walk out of here today in the same place you came in. Amen? Let's pray. Let's stand and pray, and then we'll give this invitation. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You now for this time. Where Your Spirit moves, may we respond in faith. Give you all the praise for whatever happens now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, would you come? Coming home.